It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Mary Kay Ash once said, God does not ask your ability or your inability. He asks only for your availability. Good morning, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly, so let's get started. Good morning, Jonathan. What's up? What's happening? What is going on? Good morning, Rick. Our question for this morning is, is what you believe that big of a deal? And our theme text is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. All right, so is what you believe that big of a deal? Christianity is about transformation. At least, that's what it's supposed to be about. The problem is that when we look at Christianity, what we often see is something else, something different. In some ways, it seems as though Christianity has fallen into the trap of a competitive evangelism, recruiting as many new believers as possible. Now, now, hang on, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to be doing that? Aren't we supposed to be going out and trying to get new believers? Yes, we are. Okay, but how are we supposed to be doing it? What do we believe the name of Jesus saves us from? What do we believe a Christian life should look like? What do we believe is God's plan for the masses? Do any of these things really matter? Should we just be focusing on being good, honest, and loving? So many questions. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And just two hours to handle all of those questions. So, folks, is what you believe that big a deal? We're believers, okay? You say you're a believer, but what does that mean? How important is that very point? So, Jonathan, as we approach this, Sometimes, occasionally, we will answer the question right at the beginning. Yes. And then we're going to fill in the gaps as to why we answered Mm -hmm. the question and what our answer was. How about today? So, to answer the question, our ultimate answer to the question is... Yes. (laughs) What you believe really does matter. And when we say that, we're talking about what makes up the doctrine, the basis of your personal Christian belief... It really does matter. So, how do we know that? Because we're, we're, we're coming up with this resounding yes. How do we know that? Well, let's take a look at the theme scripture. You, you read the theme scripture from 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. But let's look at the context of that. Now, the context, 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul. His life is nearly over. That's right. He, he, he is admonishing Timothy to carry on. Right. Continue the good news. He is passing on the torch. That's right. And this really is his dying letter. I mean, and when you read the end of Second Timothy, it is so touching because the apostle says, I'm ready to be offered up. It's pretty much over for me, but you, 
you have great responsibility, especially now. So this is the Apostle Paul's dying charge being given to his spiritual son, Timothy. So let's take a look at Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. We're going to break this into pieces. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So let's just stop right there. I mean, just with that first verse of this fourth chapter, and, and let me just, just back up for a second, because we look at, at these, at these uh, verses as verses and chapters in the Bible. This was a personal letter. So there were no chapters and verses. That's right. So this particular line of this personal letter, and it is a letter of seriousness, it's a letter of Christian love, and it's a letter of responsibility. In this particular line, and he's drawing near to the end of this letter now, the Apostle Paul says, I solemnly charge you. And the solemnity of Paul's charge to Timothy, charge meaning I'm, I'm, I'm handing this responsibility over to you. The solemnity of that is evidenced by the highest authority that Paul can call upon. He's saying, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by the appearance of Christ Jesus, his, his second presence, and his kingdom. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. He poured it all out. Right. He, he's saying to Timothy, this is deeply, deeply important. Please. Take this and understand it. So he is getting Timothy's attention and therefore should be getting our attention. Oh, yeah. What's going to come next? So the question will be, why Timothy? Well, to do that, let's go to a soundbite. And, you know, I get flack for using these soundbites, but I'm going to use them anyway. <laughs> this, is a, this is a Lord of the Rings type soundbite. It's from the movie The Hobbit, not okay. The Lord of the Rings. Okay. So I want to defend myself with that. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the difference? No. <laughs> well, don't go into that. No, please. I won't go into that because we get off track. Right. But this is about, you know, the Hobbit. Bilbo Baggins was chosen. He was just a regular little Hobbit, and he's chosen to do this 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 tremendous task that ends up he and then passing it on to Frodo changes the world, the Middle Earth world. Okay, this little guy, and so. Gandalf is talking to Galadriel. Now, she's this, this high elf individual. And, and she's saying, why, why the hobbit? I mean, why did you choose the little guy who just doesn't seem to, to belong in the middle of, of great world events? This is a, a very profound answer. Let's listen to this. Mithrandir. Why the halfling? Saruman believes that it is only a great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. I found it is the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay. Simple acts of kindness and love. Why, Bilbo Baggins? Because I'm afraid. And it gives me courage. And I, and I think there's something, we do. there's something really, really kind of special about that. Because 
the message there is it, this is I've I'm looking at this simple individual who will just do what he's supposed to do and that gives me courage. So why Timothy? Right. Why Timothy? Because it's the same kind of thing. Timothy wasn't this great orator. No. Timothy didn't have all of the credentials of the Apostle Paul behind him. But Timothy was, I believe, a simple, driven Christian individual who needed to have a boost of confidence from the Apostle Paul. He did. He needed to be, to be encouraged to take responsibility because that wasn't something that was natural for him. But he was trustworthy. That's why Timothy, and I think there's there's a see. So you see, there was a little there. there I see there's the parallel. A parallel. Okay, yeah, I see right. it. That's good. Jonathan <laughs> sees it, so I'm a happy guy. <laughs> so why Timothy? Why the charge? You know, preach the word. This is what the apostle Paul is telling to Timothy: preach the word with deep conviction, conviction, and fearlessness. That's what he's encouraging him to do. Let's go to verse two of Second Timothy four. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And again, want to take just a few minutes on this verse because there's a lot of little admonitions that, that the Apostle has given to Timothy. And, and they're very important. And because it was written in Greek originally, we want to understand what those words actually really mean. Because this was a personal letter from his mentor. The Apostle Paul was, was Timothy's mentor. What is my mentor telling me? Well, first of all, it says to him, preach the word. And it says to be ready. Now, what does it mean to be ready? To stand upon, to be present. So, that's, that's a cool definition. <laughs> I loved it so much, Rick. It's like, you know, don't be asleep. Don't be overcharged with the cares of the world. Be in the moment. Exactly. And I'm like, wow, that is powerful. So the apostle, be ready. right? The apostle Paul is telling him, be present, be in the moment, ready to do whatever it is that you have to do. And he says, okay, be ready. Then he says, in season. What does that mean? When the opportunity arises. All right. Or out of season. What does that mean? Unseasonable. When it is inconvenient. So when the when you're going through life and the opportunity arises and you know and and it's convenient for you obviously you have to be ready. Yes. But you also have to be ready when it's not convenient for you. Wow. Out of season when things aren't going quite the way you want them to but you know that you have to do something or speak up or take a stand he's saying be ready when it's convenient and even when it's not convenient. What a great lesson that is. That's for sure. And the next the next piece the next admonishing here is to reprove. Admonish and convict and and that's in a positive way. When yes. you hear the word reprove it sounds negative. Right. But that's not what Paul was saying. Right. So re- rebuke Censure. 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 When you censure somebody, that's serious. Mm. In other words, make sure those following are holding up to a standard. All right? Exhort. Call near. Invite. So you've got that admonishing, the, the standing when you need to stand when things are difficult, and the, 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 the friendly drawing in between reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And he says, do all of this with great patience. What does that mean? Forbearance, refraining from enforcement of something that is due. In other words, have that benevolent sense about you that you don't have to, to pound down on, on, on others, but show them. Show them. And, he sa- and it says, and do all of this with great instruction. The act 
of indoctrinating. Indoctrinating. When you indoctrinate someone, you are teaching them how to think. This is really important. Indoctrinate. Teach them how to think. Now, so Timothy is told to do all of these things. That's powerful. It is, and that's just one sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Just one sentence. Why is this charge so fundamentally important? Verse 3 of 2 Timothy 4, the first part of the verse. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So the apostle says the time will come. That means he's prophesying. Rick, that time is now. Yes, it is. It says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So let's take those three words apart. We're doing a lot of taking words apart because when you understand what the Apostle Paul is really telling Timothy, it, it, it's got to wake you up and say, wow, look at this. It's where we live. Yes. Not endure sound doctrine. What does it mean to endure? To hold oneself up against, figuratively put up with. All right, so to hold oneself up against. So when you endure something, in other words, you use it as a standard for yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they will not hold themselves up against sound doctrine. What does sound mean? To have sound health, be well, figuratively to be uncorrupt. So they will not hold themselves up against healthy doctrine, which is? Instruction. So there will come a time when they, those who proclaim the name of Christ, will not hold themselves up against healthy instruction. Well, Rick, Satan's job number one was to corrupt God's truth to prevent the development of the church class. Yes. Paul warns us in his day that it had already begun. Yes. So these words are so important. Right, and you're right. It had already begun back then. So who's in control here? The question you have to ask. When, when they're not holding themselves up against sound doctrine, who's in control? Is the purity of the original teaching in control, or are those who are supposed to be taught in control? Ooh. And Jonathan, this is the great hijacking of Christianity. Not enduring sound doctrine is the great hijacking of Christianity. We'll get to that more in the next segment. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, is what you believe that big a deal? Coming up, what reason could there possibly be to not want to stand with truth? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Is What You Believe That Big of a Deal? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 866- 985-4255. That's 866-985 for all. Or you can message us on your app. And if you don't have an app for your smartphone, just go to your app store and type in Christian Questions Radio, and it is a free service, and you can listen live to our program anywhere you go. And don't forget to check out our new website, brand new at ChristianQuestions.com. Check it out. Let us know what you think. All right, so Jonathan, we ended last segment with a pretty strong statement. We were talking about the great hijacking 
of Christianity. And we were basing that on the Apostle Paul's prophecy to Timothy that there would come a time when they would not endure sound doctrine. And so that is what the basis of where we're, where, where we're going here. And, and, you know, the question you asked at the end of the last segment was important. Like, well, why wouldn't somebody want to stand up for what's true? Exactly. Well, there's a reason to not want to stand up for what's true. There is a reason. So let's look at because the Apostle Paul tells us there's a reason. Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses, or the, the second part of verse 3. 2 Timothy 4, the second part of verse 3. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So remember, we were also asking the question, who's in control here? Is it the purity of the original teaching, or is it those who are supposed to be taught? Mm. Well, this, this part is actually saying that they're not going to, they, they want to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires. Not according to truth, but their own desires. So let, let's, let's, again, let's put this in, in perspective, let's take it apart, and the bottom line question is, is what you believe that big of a deal? And we're saying, yes, it is a bigger deal than you even realize when we begin to look at these scriptures. Wanting to have their ears tickled. Now, now I mean, I mean, when you tickle the ears of a dog, you know, you ever see what happens oh, when you do that? Oh, they love that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is, is that what it's talking about? What, is no. it, what does it mean? Well, the lexicon says, to scratch, tickle, wanting to hear something pleasant. So the idea behind it is 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 wanting to be made to feel good, made right. to feel nice. Everything. Oh, this is, and they lived happily ever after. <sighs> no, that's the idea. Okay, accumulating teachers according to their own desires. What does it mean to accumulate these teachers? Accumulate. Accumulate means to heap up, accumulate in piles. Okay, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. So they're accumulating teachers according to their own desires. Desires a longing, especially for what is forbidden. Aha. So the idea, the Apostle Paul is saying that literally in this prophecy that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, is there will be piled up teachers that are in place because the followers want somebody to feed their own desires. So they can watch the show. So they, so they, so they can be maybe entertained, be right. made to feel good. Feel good. See, is Christianity, and, and folks, here's a question for you, is Christianity about feeling good or is it about something else. If you have a thought, give us a call at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. Go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, interact with us on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. So, Jonathan, this pathway that the Apostle Paul is describing is a very self serving pathway. And once you begin going down a self-serving path, you create momentum and it's really hard to stop. Mm. Because, hey, who am I serving? Me. Who, who better than me? Nobody. Keep going. You know, that's that sense of, of that momentum that happens. This momentum forms a vortex of emotions. You know, that, and that vortex has very strong pulling power. Mm -hmm. It forms this vortex of emotions, and we develop an insatiable need to be fed what we feel that we want. 
That's the problem here. That was the prophecy, and you said it already, That and here we are. We are at the arrival of this prophecy. And Rick, this is the opposite of spirituality. This is fleshly. Yeah, yeah. This is carnal that you're talking about. And so when you get into this self-serving mentality and you put that self-serving mentality in the context of Christianity, what do you get? Chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So what reason could there possibly be to not want to stand for truth? That's it. Because self-serving is more fun, more enjoyable, more relaxing, less pressure. Why wouldn't I go on to go down that road? But well, we have responsibility, Rick. We, well, ha- we have a choice, don't we? Stop being so practical, will you please? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. We do have responsibility. And you're right. We do have a choice. See, there is a conscious choice made here to disbelieve truth and embrace fiction in its place. And we have done that. And our world is really good at doing that. It's really good at that. Let's go to another soundbite. This is from Jeff Bethke. Uh, he is a, um, a young Christian individual. He's very profound in, in, in what he speaks about. And this was a, a, a YouTube video uh, entitled, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. And I thought that, that really caught my eye when it was sent to me to take a look at. And, uh, you know, he's talking about something very specific here and a difference that we're trying to make based on Scripture. So let's listen. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too but no one seemed to be on to me, acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Building a facade of neatness. I mean, wow. it, it, he, he's, he's expressing his own experience and saying, look, I made it look good, but it wasn't good, and I was just fooling myself. And now, he says, my own only boast can come from the fact that I know that I'm weak. You know, and that's what the Apostle Paul says. Because when we are weak, then we can be made strong. It really seems like a parallel that Jesus was, you know, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, saying, you look good on the outside, but yep. on the inside, there's a problem. There's dead men's bones. And, and here we are at the end of the Gospel Age, and that was at the end of the Jewish Age, and the same thing is happening. So that was at the end of the time where the Jewish nation was the single favored uh, group before God. Right. And now we are drawing near to the end of the gospel age, the call of the true church. Another age is going to follow. We'll get to that in the second hour. But here the same kinds of problems exist with the context of those who are being chosen and called out. That That's really yes. you know, what, what we're saying here. So you've, you've got them turning away their ears from truth and accepting myths myths instead. That's a serious, serious accusation. So the Apostle Paul says they're not going to endure sound doctrine. They're going to do all these things because they're self-serving. And then he turns and says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, what does he say to him now? But you, 
Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So it's it's amazing to me how much the apostle says in so few words when he's talking to Timothy here. And again, this is the apostle's dying letter. So it is so important to see it and to really absorb each of these words as, as he's, he's speaking to Timothy and take them seriously as, as to ourselves in, in so many ways. So he says to, to Timothy, be sober. What does that mean? Be discreet, calm, and collected in spirit. All right, so it, take a breath. That's what he's saying. Take a breath because you've got a huge responsibility. He says endure hardship. Suffer evils. Be afflicted. Like, great, you're telling me to be afflicted? Yes, I am. Why? Because that's your lot in life. So be afflicted, embrace the pain, embrace the trial by having your mind in a sober state so that you can do the work. It's going to happen. You're going to have trouble. No getting around it, so don't try to get around it. Plow through it. He says, evangelize. Be employed in spreading the gospel. And it's interesting. When you look at, and just a a quick side note, and you know, does what you believe, uh, is what you believe really that big of a deal? Back in those days, you did not have any kind of paid ministry. No, you didn't. You you didn't have the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, on a payroll from some church. No salary. Now there were those who supported him in his work through hospitality, right. shelter, food, right. keeping him on his way. Right. Yeah. But there, there was not a paid ministry. He would go to a city. He'd go get a job. He, he, he's he, a tent maker. Right. And 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 he would preach the gospel. And support himself. There was value in that because it was freely you have received, freely give. So just just that's a side point here. So he tells Timothy also, after be sober, endure hardship, evangelize. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. And basically he's saying to Timothy, do what you are called to do. What do we know about Timothy and what he's called to do? Well, let's look at 2 Timothy, that same last letter to Timothy from the Apostle Paul. Let's go back to the first chapter, though, verses 5 through 8. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So he is encouraging Timothy to step up and step out. Yes. Because Timothy perhaps, and we don't know, but perhaps had some, some, some confidence issues with being able to do that. And Paul is saying, no, you've got what it takes. I, I'm, I'm, I want to draw you out because you are being called to a very important work. So for Timothy, leading, speaking, standing, and suffering for the truth of the true gospel was his ministry. Yes. That's how the Apostle Paul described it in those verses that you just read. He was entrusted... With it, as the Apostle Paul would now be taken off the scene. So Paul is really looking to Timothy and saying, no pressure, son, but (laughs) a lot of this is now, I'm really expecting a lot from from you here. So what was it that Timothy was supposed to stand for? What 
was the gospel that he was supposed to stand for? Was it to go out and make people feel good, and make people smile and happy, or was it to teach them what Jesus Christ really was all about with all of the instruction that came with that? Again, folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about is what you believe that big of a deal, you can give us a call at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. So, so, Jonathan, let's start with some simp- simple stuff. What do you believe about being a Christian? And, folks, these are questions that we want to ask, and we want you to think about it in the terms of your own Christian walk, your own Christian life. So what does a Christian look like? Right. In your mind, how does it, how does it all get, get put together? And, and, and we got much more on this in, in bonus material for Seeker Rewind, the full edition. And here's the thing. When you, when you start to answer this question about what does a Christian life look like, Ask yourself the question, and, and write this down. What are the responsibilities of my beliefs? What are the responsibilities of my beliefs? Therefore, if I believe thus and so, what does it make me do, say, or think? Versus if I just sort of hear it and nod my head in agreement. There's a difference between nodding your head in agreement and actually believing something. Okay? So, let's... Let, Let's do some comparisons on what Christianity is supposed to look like. Is Christianity about being given status or giving away status? Ah, see, which one is it? Which one is it? Is it being given this 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 title or is it giving away all titles for the sake of Christ? What else? Is it about the blessing of wealth or a wealth of blessing? Yeah, there's a big difference between those two. Is it about a life of personal comforts received or a life of spiritual overruling believed? Is it which do you see as the belief of what a Christian life should look like? What else? Is it a life of striving to get what you want or learning to want what you get? <laughs> that one, that one, we all want the first part to be true, but the second part really is, obviously. And that's the way it is with all of these points. Last one. Is it a life of dreams coming true or a life of of the discipline to see it all the way through. Because the dream of Christianity does not come true in this life. It really truly doesn't. So those are the kinds of questions you have to ask. What do I see Christianity producing in my life? What is What are the responsibilities of my beliefs about Christianity? Now our belief system regarding a Christian life uh, what a Christian life looks like. Okay, We're going to give you exactly what we believe, only briefly, but exactly what we believe in a brief way, what we, a Christian life looks like. It means to deny ourselves. First and foremost, Matthew sixteen twenty four to 26. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So, true Christianity, according to this text, means willingness to trade my temporary and faulty will for the will of God through Jesus. It means to deny myself. And that is an awfully big powerful and difficult step to take this is christian questions i'm jonathan here with rick our subject is is what you believe that big of a deal coming up 
what else besides denying ourselves must we do to be a true Christian? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is what you believe that big a deal. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, if you haven't, at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. There's graphics and illustrations on every subject that we do, and it really brings the Bible study home. So, Jonathan, as we as we move forward through this, we spent really the first two segments establishing why what we believe is a very, very, very big deal. Now we have to talk about, well, what is it that we believe? And obviously, folks, as we go through this, we're going to touch on just a few things through the rest of the program, and we're going to tell you what we believe. We're going to tell you our perspective on what Christianity requires of us according to Scripture. Your perspective may be different. Understood. No problem. Let's talk about it. Let's check it. Let's go back to the original source. Go back to Scripture and make sure that what we're talking about actually is scriptural. Not traditional, but scriptural. Well, Rick, we started with the first point, denying ourselves. Right. And that is a real basis for Christianity. The next point is, based on that self-denial, we have to separate ourselves. True Christians are called to be to a specific role with specific responsibilities that we need training for. So you have to be separate from the rest of the world to enter into that training program, and it is a lifelong training program. First Peter chapter two, verses nine through twelve. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So now, because of these specific roles and the necessary training, we're also called upon to be different. See, he lists out several roles in those in those previous verses. You know, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You are privileged. That's what it's saying. As a true Christian, you are deeply privileged. Now it means you have to be different. Verses 11 and 12 of First Peter chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, one question to ask in relation to this verse is, do people... In your life, that surrounds you in your daily activities, do they see a difference in behavior between you and the rest of the crowd? 
Do they see a difference in behavior between you and the rest of the employees or the rest of the volunteers or the rest of the family or the rest of the people on the subway or the train or whatever it is? Do you rise above? And Rick, that reminds me of letting your light shine and being the salt of the world, that preserving influence. Are you? Right. How different are we? Now, are we trying to be different for the sake of being different? No. We are being different because that's what we're called to be. We have to be different. Not try to find the unique way that I can be different from everybody else being different, but the way that I can be different in the footsteps of Jesus. That's the only way. Christ-likeness. Right, that, that we are supposed to be different. It says, you know, in verse 12 in First Peter 2, it says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. What does that mean? It means beautiful, valuable, or virtuous. Have virtuous and valuable behavior. Integrity really yeah, fits that. And, and that really means you have to live up to a standard that's higher than the rest. Our belief system uh, regarding what a a Christian life looks like, we talked about denying ourselves. We just talked about separating ourselves. To be a true Christian, we believe that we also must bear each other's burdens. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regarding to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. So we're not only to be fully accountable for taking care of our own responsibilities, we also must be aware of and willing to contribute to the bearing of the weight of others' responsibilities as well. That's hard. It is. You have to stand outside of yourself. So, so Jonathan, let, let's pause here for a moment, okay? We're saying, okay, what does it look like to be a Christian? And, and folks, we're giving you our basis of, of some of the things, only a few, some of the things that we think it looks like to be a true Christian. Earlier, we talked about the great hijacking of Christianity, Yes. When you look at these three items, Jonathan, here's how the great hijacking has worked in terms of denying ourselves. The great hijacking of Christianity says, well, deny yourself. Don't forget, God wants you to be happy. He wants you to have. He wants you to hold. He wants you to be. He wants you to accomplish. He wants you to see success. Doesn't mean that self-denial doesn't have success involved in it. But it does mean that that is a watering down of being willing to walk away from earthly ambitions. Yeah, they're the opposite. That's the hijacking. We are being told that all of these things are good for your Christianity, and they're not. That's the hijacking. Separate ourselves. How did that get hijacked? Well, again, you look at it. And now Christianity is part of the offering of Christianity. It is for everybody. Now, now I've got to be careful with this because this, this will get totally misrepresented. I'm sure of it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Christianity is, I truly believe, come as you are and expect to change. That's what I believe the call of Christianity is. Come as you are. 
The hijacking is come as you are because Jesus loves you. And it's okay to stay the same. And, and see, the first two parts are okay. Come as you are because Jesus loves you. That's good. But you can't forget the expect to change. And the expect to change means to be willing to separate yourselves from the rest of the world. The great hijacking of Christianity has erased that last piece. They took a little bit of truth and they put it into a context that creates a dangerous environment rather than a positive spiritual environment. Bearing each other's burdens. You know, the, the, the great hijacking of Christianity in terms of that is, you know, everybody's kind of going to go along and get along. And it, because everybody is okay the way they are, we might be trying in the hijacked version of Christianity to help others bear burdens that they really shouldn't have because they're against Scripture. So we've got to be awfully careful. And folks, maybe you're listening to this and, and thinking, boy, you guys sound pretty harsh. Well, look, we're trying to sound scriptural. Okay, so if it's coming across as harsh, I apologize, but I don't understand a, another way to look at the scriptures and apply them in a practical sense to the, the levels that we should be living at. So let's just kind of put this all, all in order. Now, having said all of that and talk about the great hijacking of Christianity, what if someone professes Christianity but doesn't do these things the way we, we've been talking that the scriptures describe them? What if they are good and righteous and a loving person, but have no interest in separation and self-denial and in transformative spirituality and so forth? Do we now look at them and say, ah, there's a false Christian? I mean, what if they love Jesus? What if they really love Jesus, but don't want a part of those things? How do we deal with that? Let's go to a soundbite from Desiring God, because I think this makes an important point, and then we'll get to answering that very specific and important and difficult question from Desiring God, and it's about the importance of doctrine or the importance of instruction or the importance of teaching. Everything we do is theological. Everything is based on implicit or explicit theology. And so it's not exactly fair to say that people are moving away from theology. They're just not looking. at. They're not, it's not smart, well-thought-out, reflective. Um, it's not rooted it's not rooted in, uh, in historical theology. It's not rooted in biblical theology. But, I mean, uh, everything we do is based on views of God, human nature. I think theology and doctrine is absolutely crucial. And the more you dig down deep and get your theology straight and get your theology rich and get your theology experienced, it guides your doing church. And I think that's an important point. Everything is based on theology, like it or not. But the question is, do you know what your theology is teaching you, and are you following what it is saying? Those are important, hard they questions. They are, Rick. So um, let, let's take a look at the, the question we want to go back to. What about those who are not willing to, to rise up to this level? And the level we're painting here, Jonathan, is not an easy one. No, it's not. It's a high standard. Well, the scriptures, I believe, deal with this as well. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now we can look at that verse and we can say, aha, they're going to get theirs. Good. Hang on. Hang on. Because judgment of another's character is above our pay grade. 
<laughs> just is. I like that. <laughs> we are not to be judging another's character. Now, actions are a different story. Okay, we are called upon to judge actions and to do things about that. But to judge another's character, forget about it. Because that's, that's not something that we, it's not in our job description. God does the judging, right? Exactly, absolutely. And that is a relief. How do you spell yeah. relief? God, <laughs> G-O-D, is the judge. That's how I spell relief, okay? Rather than focus on judgment, Galatians tells us what to do in verses 9 through 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So the answer here is, look, don't lose heart in doing good, but do good to all people. And then it says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now this household includes those who are called to be Christ's, as well as, 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 well as those who appreciate the call, but are not called. They love Jesus... But they don't want to sacrifice and right. separate and bear one another's burdens. Right. Okay, all and, right. And that is an important thing. And there's nothing wrong in that. We're going to get into that in the second hour. Okay, there's nothing wrong with somebody who's of that mindset. It's a good thing. So love them and respect them and serve them. And, you know, Jonathan, so, I don't know, a couple of years ago we did a program and we listened to a sound bites uh, where someone was talking about fans of Jesus versus followers of Jesus. Yes, I remember. And that concept really, truly fits in here. Fans, when, they, when people are fans, that's good. They're engaged in the watching and appreciating of what's going on. God doesn't look at them and say, oh, you terrible people. There is an appreciation of that. But it's not the same as being that true follower of, of Jesus. Jonathan, we just got a comment in from the app. Uh, we won't have time this hour, but maybe we'll get to it the second hour. The question is, how do you take care of yourself and your family if you have no ambition to succeed? <laughs> okay, that's a tough question, <laughs> but it's a good one. So um, we will, because remember we were saying, you know, take away, you know, earthly ambitions. That's right. And I think the, the idea of that question is, all right, if you're taking away earthly ambitions, what are you saying here? So that's a really good mm -hmm. practical question, folks. It stay is. with us for the second hour while we get to that. So, Jonathan, here, what we've discussed in this first hour is the Apostle Paul is emphatic on making sure our teaching is based on true Christian teaching. So he told this to Timothy, right. and now we're taking it on personally, right. our own responsibility. Because we live in a time where we... The general body of Christianity does not endure sound doctrine. They don't measure themselves against pure teaching. They measure themselves against something different, something less, something easier, something more convenient. Entertaining. And something that essentially brings you away from the true value of Christianity. So now we've tried to define what does a true Christian look like, just a few points on that. In the second hour, we're going to get into the tough stuff. We're going to get into more of the actual doctrine or instruction given us in the scriptures and challenge each one of us with, okay, if what do I believe on this? What do I believe about salvation? What do I believe about punishments? What do I believe about this person or that person and where they can go later on? How, what are my responsibilities to that? Those are the things coming up in the second hour, so stay with us for that. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, it really does come down to acting on what you truly believe. The question is, 
do you know what you believe and why you believe it? We'll be back after the news and all that. But till then, what you believe is a big deal. We'll be back soon. Think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Somebody once said, Above all, be true to yourself, and if you cannot put your heart in it, take yourself out of it. I like that. Folks, <laughs> welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at the Bi- at Bible-related topics from a very different perspective. And Jonathan, what is the subject on the table this morning? Well, Rick, our question is, is what you believe that big of a deal? Yes, it is. And our theme text is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So we are talking about the the basis of our belief system as Christians. And we are taking a hard look at it saying, okay, what is it I believe that a Christian should be, should do, should uh, should believe and should think? And am I following through on exactly what I believe? And is what I believe in accordance with Scripture? Okay, so several pieces going on here. We spent a lot of the first hour talking about the Apostle Paul and his emphatic instruction to Timothy, not only to, to not um, to not only know the truth of the gospel, but to stand up for it, to preach it, and to use it to correct, to encourage with it, and to spread hope with it. I mean, he was really turning a lot over to, to Timothy because Paul was this was his last letter. That's right. Timothy was told that there would be many who would have no interest in truth, but only uh, pursue status using the name of Christ. There was a prophecy. They would not endure sound doctrine. We also must focus on what we believe to be the truth of the gospel based on God's holy word. That's something for us as well. We're not in the same position as Timothy was, but we're still following the same gospel, the same truth of the gospel, and the same uh, standard of living, if you will. And the warning was... In the future, which is our day, these things will be going on, which will be taking the focus off of the truth and off of what a true Christian is. Right. Uh, Jonathan, uh, during the break, we got another question in from the app. So I want to just quickly address the two questions that came in from, from the app, folks. We Great. appreciate when you send these in. We can't always get them on the air, but when we do, uh, you know, it works out. This, the, I'll take the second question first. It says, what scripture do you base the division of the household of faith into different classes on? So, and we talked about that, you know, the household of faith, and we implied that within the household of faith, you have those truly dedicated followers of Christ, and then people who are kind of fans mm-hmm. of Christ. And I, we're not looking at a scripture that basically says, you know, you divide them into these categories. But within a household, because the picture of a household is used versus the picture of sons, you know, per, versus the picture of the bride, the household implies a wider birth of, of, of individuals doing different things within that household, having, having different relationships. Sure. So rather than being called to sonship or being called to the bride of Christ, household implies more positions, and that's where we think all of those things fit. 
The other app question was, how do you take care of yourself and your family if you have no ambition to succeed? Because one of the things we said is our ambitions should not be earthly. That's right. Yeah, and and I want to make sure that it's clearly understood. We must do the things very necessary to support and take care of our families. The scriptures tell us that. So that we can promote the gospel. Right. And sometimes it takes a lot for us to do it. In my own life, we were chatting during the break, um, and way back when, you and I worked at the same cabinet shop. That's right, we did. <laughs> and I was I was the general manager of the shop mm-hmm. back then, and I worked on salary. And of course, salary is supposed to be you work 40 hours, you get paid a certain amount, and if you have to work extra, it's okay. But my boss was a really hard-driving individual, and uh, I used to work like 60-plus hours a week. Yeah, that was <laughs> huge. And it was, a, it was a relatively small shop. There was a lot of responsibility. I don't begrudge having to have had to put that time in because I was supporting my family. My ambition was to do a really good job at the job I was called upon to do, and the, it, it, it cost a lot. But so, so it's not that there was no ambition to succeed, but it was the ambition to succeed so that I could support my family so that I could serve God. Right. So hopefully that helps to put it in perspective. We're not saying don't have earthly ambition. We're saying have it channeled to the glory of God. Your vocation is serving the Lord, and your advocation helps you to do that. Right, right. Let, let's go to another soundbite. Uh, and this, Jonathan, this is from some financial program. So, you know, it's about money, but we want to take the principles, not the money thing. And it's about going against the crowd flow in terms of money ideals. So, and, and in this, she's talking about the 98 percenters. Let's just listen, and then we'll comment. 98% of the population go with the crowd. Whatever's in, whatever's popular, is where their interest lies. 98% of the population sometimes never stand back and look at a matter critically. They always want to be the accepted one. They always want to be the popular one. And there's nothing wrong with being popular. There's nothing wrong with wanting to fit in. But it becomes a problem when it's a detriment to yourself as a person, when it's not stuff that you can afford, when you're breaking the bank just to fit in. That's not sensible at all. So the principle of going along with the crowd, she's saying, generally the crowd isn't going to bring you to a place where you can be successful mm-hmm. in terms of money management. The same principle applies in Christianity. To follow along the, the big, big crowd generally is not what Jesus was talking about. No. Okay, so the principle is... If you're kind of going with all of the big flow, you better take a look and make sure that flow really is going where you think it should be going. So, Jonathan, let's get into some of the more practical things about uh, is what we believe that big of a deal. Let's talk about prayer for a moment or for a few minutes or for the rest of the segment. How's that? All right. (laughs) Okay. What do you believe about prayer? And again, when we ask that question, we're also asking the question, the important question, what are the responsibilities of your beliefs? Because it's one thing to nod your head in agreement, it's another thing to stand for something that you believe in. Too often, we treat our Christianity with a nod of agreement rather than really believing it. If you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at rick at christianquestions.com. Okay. Does God answer prayer? Three questions. Okay. Does God answer prayer? Must you be a Christian to have your prayers heard? 
Does God ignore some prayers? Let's take a brief look at prayer in Scripture. Brief look. This is worthy of an entire program. We're just going to take a brief look today. Asking God to hear your prayer certainly implies that he may not. Good point. Okay, and scriptures are full of asking God to hear prayers. So, Psalm 102, verses 1 to 7 is a good example of that. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let me cry. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. See, there's great honesty and humility in prayers that will be heard by God. And, 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 and David is showing that honesty and humility here. He's... He's asking God for his attention. Because when we pray and we say, yes, God, hears my prayer, that's really what you're saying, is God has my attention. That's a pretty powerful statement to Oh, make. that is. Okay, let's continue with Psalm 102, verses 3 to 6. For my days three pass to, away. Three, 3 to 7, I'm sorry. All right, no problem. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is stricken and withered like grass. I am too wasted to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my skin. I am like an owl of the wilderness, like a little owl of the waste places. I lie awake, and I am like a lonely bird on the housetop. What a sad situation. And, and there is the great honesty in, the, in, in David's approach. He's saying, I'm, I'm a wreck. And he's bringing that wrecked humanity before God and looking for mercy and grace and help. Be open for seeking righteousness before you pray. You know, that's part, another part of this whole process. Proverbs fifteen twenty-eight and 29. The mind of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. So we have a qualification according to that proverb as to what prayers God hears and those things that he doesn't listen to. Mm. Yes, God does not listen to everything. Not with the... He, he can hear it, but he's not going to listen to it to respond to it if it's not even remotely close to seeking after godly righteousness. Not just, not just good, but godly righteousness. The further, further we travel on the path of godliness the more we align ourselves with God. And, you know, that's like a duh statement. <laughs> but it's an important statement. It's one of those things you say, this is really important to understand. Am I walking down a path of godliness as I have my belief system in what prayer does and what it doesn't do? Again, let's go to uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 15. Let's go back several verses. Go to verses 6 through 9. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure... But trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge. Not so the minds of the fools. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves the one who pursues righteousness. So living faith faithfully and righteously enables our prayers to be heard. And see, that's an important thing about prayers. And, you know, during one of the breaks you were talking to me... About Cornelius? Yes. Yes. Um, his prayers were stored up as a memorial, but when the door opened for the Gentiles to receive favor, his prayers were answered, Rick. And that's the way the angel describes it. And it's a beautiful description because he was sincere and he was knocking... Timing just wasn't right yet. Exactly. But God held those prayers for the right time mm -hmm. because his heart was in accordance with the will of God. So 
Jesus even remarked on um, on on God hearing him. And that's an important aspect of this whole thing. John 11, verses 40 to 43. This is in the context of the raising of Lazarus. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. So here, Jesus is saying it out loud because he wants the glory to go to God, not to himself. Yes. And what a powerful picture of the power of prayer. And again, when we have our belief on prayer, what is it saying about us? What is it saying about what we tell other people? Oh, don't worry. Just pray and God will hear you. Maybe he will. But maybe he won't, because sometimes, and you know, again, that sounds harsh. You say, well, what are you saying? You're discouraging people from praying? If they are idolatrous, yes, I am, <laughs> because you can't communicate with the sublime creator of the universe through an idolatrous perspective. You have to find godliness, or at least find the path towards godliness, so you can be drawn to a higher level, to a higher place. Just really quickly, and Jonathan, we'll get to, we've got some uh, call, call waiting. We'll get to that in the next segment. But um, an example of God's attention and answers being focused only in certain directions. And again, God is specific at this time because it's not for everybody his attention right now. James 5.16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So here... It says the effectual fervent prayer. What does effectual fervent actually mean? Well, Rick, it means to be active and efficient. Okay, to be active. You know, the, the, the Greek word is a word for energy. Mm. Okay, and it really means to be, to be on it, to be engaged. Remember we are talking about when, uh, for, for Timothy, be present? Yes, in the moment, yes. Prayer is not something that should be recited by rote. It should be something that is in the present moment that's the kind of prayer that god really hears and finally first peter three twelve. for the eyes of the lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers but the face of the lord is against them that do evil so these are some scriptures that teach us what prayers can be heard and what prayers are not heard what do you believe as a christian about prayer and what are the responsibilities of your beliefs about prayer we just shared with you some of our beliefs and the responsibilities about prayer. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Is What You Believe That Big of a Deal? Coming up, what we believe about salvation should really control our lives. So what do we believe? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is what you believe that big of a deal. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. 
Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or don't forget, you can message us on your app. And we really do appreciate hearing from you via app or email or whatever it is because your positions, your input, your your thoughts are really, really uh, important to us and valuable. So thank you. Uh, Jonathan, actually, let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Carol from Connecticut. Yeah, hi. hi, Carol. How are you? Good. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> Is this working, Jonathan? Yes, it is. Yeah, I know. You were talking oh, to Matt, hi. and we interrupted yeah. your conversation. Sorry. I apologize. Oh, it's okay. Um, I just wanted to give you a, just a very short version. Um, my son, May 29th, was jogging and got hit by a van. Oh, my. And uh, had to be transferred to Yale to two major operations. Uh, I just want to say that my faith, God, Jesus has given me strength. God gave me strength to take care of my son, which I never thought I had anymore. And most important, my son forgave the woman that hit him, and I forgave her. But the strength and the prayer every day he comes through for me, you know, like a little thing, like uh, just help me, like a pock and place. Oh, it's really close to where I'm going to go. And just prayer, prayer and faith. He's got, I, I, I never, I felt so much peace right now where I didn't have it for a while. And I, I have so much peace in me, and I have the strength to take care of my son and um, forgiveness, and he forgave her. Even when he was in that Yale with an operation, he forgave her, and I forgave her. But I just wanted to mention that to you. Carol, uh, that's a wonderful story, and, and it's, 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 I say it's a wonderful story. It's a tragedy what happened, yeah. but, but your reaction and your son's reaction are real great, wonderful Christian examples. So we thank you for that. Thank you very, All very right. much. Thank you very much for listening. All right. Take, take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, and it really is, Jonathan. It gives you a sense of, you know, Carol has called our program many times before yes. and she has that sense of wanting to find God and, and to, to be to be clear in her in her worship and her praise and her service and that's a wonderful thing and God looks down upon that and he smiles upon that because it's a sincere heart seeking him in as righteous a way as they know how so God bless you for that Carol we appreciate your 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 reactions in a tough situation so Jonathan let's move forward now what do you believe, folks, we're talking to you, what do you believe, what do we believe about salvation and punishment? And the important question, what's the important question to add to that? What are the responsibilities of your beliefs? Okay, and that is such an important question because I keep repeating myself, but it's not just nodding in agreement, it's actually having a belief that you're willing to stand for. What? Do we believe? Several questions here, Jonathan. What, do, what does salvation look like? What you, must you be a Christian to obtain salvation? What does punishment look like? Is every non-Christian in line for punishment? What happens to those we mentioned earlier, those who are perhaps just fans of Jesus? What is your belief system about these things? And what are the responsibilities of holding that belief system? That's something we need to get to. So to illustrate this, to illustrate finding truth in a matter, because it's such an important thing. We're going to go back to an, another movie. Uh, the, the movie is The Matrix. This is, this is, it seems like odd to say it, but this is an old movie. It's from 1999. And the scene in the movie is where the main character, Neo, who lives in this Matrix, you know, everybody's in the Matrix and, you know, what's happening is not real. Uh, and he's being told that, Life has been really 
an, an unreal experience. And if you want to know the truth, you're going to have to dedicate yourself just to the truth. And this other guy, this guy's name is um, Mor- Morpheus, I think. He's basically giving you a choice. Do you want the truth or do you want to just go back to life? So let's listen to this. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. If you were to replace the Matrix with the the Satan's world of sin, that would be a profound statement of, it, of, of it great would. truth. Wow. Everyone is born into this world of sin with with with, with this 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 shroud that's pulled over your eyes. Facade. You can't see what's true through this matrix of sin and death that Satan has brought upon us. So, that being said, let's see if we can dig for truth in the matter of our belief system regarding what salvation looks like. And again, this is this is the Jonathan and Rick uh, and, and those we associate with. This is our belief system on what salvation looks like. We believe salvation, worldwide salvation, begins with justice. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, The resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. And there, in those few lines, Jonathan, there is such a profound direction for us to follow regarding salvation. Because it says, death came through a human being named Adam. That's right. And death, that means death came to all men. Exactly. Nobody is exempt from that sentence. Correct. It says, as because death came through a human, so also the resurrection came through a man, the man Christ Jesus. Because all die in Adam, all in Christ will be made alive. That doesn't exclude anyone. No, that's justice. Right, right, right. That's perfect justice. Right again. You're on a roll. Keep it up. <laughs> it, it is, it, that's the thing to realize. The shroud of sin and death have, have been pulled over everyone's eyes. You can't control it. But the truth of the matter is, God's justice will prevail at some point. Salvation, worldwide salvation, begins with justice like we said. But it's also built upon obedience. By God's grace, the obedience of the few can affect the destiny of the many. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 to 18. And this is Abraham after his willingness to sacrifice his son to show his obedience to God. A very specific, clear, and dynamic promise is given to him. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son, 
Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Okay, so Abraham is given a very specific promise that holds a tremendous privilege in it. He's saying your descendants are going to become powerful like the stars of heaven, like the sands of the seashore. They're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. Your descendants, your family. That's what, that's what Abraham's being told. That's a tremendous privilege. And then God says to Abraham, and I'm not doing this just to pat you on the back. I'm doing this for the sake of everybody else. Because what does God say next? In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So God's further response to Abraham's obedience was, and your seed, your family, both spiritual and physical, because in Galatians we're told that if you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. Right. So your family is there. Not only, I'm not trying to make you great to say so everybody can say, oh, look at Abraham and his great family. I want to make you a great servant so you, the blessing of the world can come through your family. That's the purpose of the greatness given to Abraham. So it's not for the reason of making him great. It's for the reason of blessing because justice was met by Jesus. Abraham was a shining example of obedience and faith being rewarded. Exactly. God has a way of doing that over and over. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about is what you believe that big of a deal. We're talking about salvation and our perspective on salvation being a worldwide salvation. Give us a call at 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, we talked about salvation, worldwide salvation begins with justice. It has, it's built upon obedience. Worldwide salvation also is the will and the desire of God. This is what God wants. How do we know? Because the scriptures tell us that. 1 Timothy 2, 3-6. to For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So here, Jonathan, is another example of scripture that talks about it's good and acceptable in sight of God, who desires all men to be saved. God wants that for his human creation. And he also wants everyone to understand fully his truth. Right, right. The knowledge of the truth. Right. Come to a knowledge. Is not. Remember what we've been talking about over and over in this program. Is, it, is, is your belief just a nodding of your head in agreement? Or is it a deep... Seed. You deep truly understand. Core belief yeah. of your life. That word for knowledge means full disclosure. Wow. So it is a deep-seated knowledge of God's wor- will and God's way, which is not readily available in this world that... Just like in the Matrix, that that shroud has been pulled over your eyes. That's right, and you're seeing something that's not that's not real, not godly. 
So uh, let, let's pause on that. Worldwide salvation is the will and desire of God. Let's go back to another soundbite. Let's go back to Jeff Bethke. Again, his, his title was Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus, and I love that title. And here he's talking about, you know, if Jesus showed up at your church, what, what would happen? This is kind of an interesting question. Let's listen. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people. It's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure. I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me. It depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion. And for it, He called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. And I think there's an important principle here. Uh, would, Would Christian churches that are so involved in being self-serving in, in, in having the comforts of life be the most important thing rather than the pathway of Jesus be the most important thing. If Jesus came there and began, you know, of course everybody would say, oh, it's Jesus, let him in. And then he began to teach. Would they be welcoming of that teaching or saying, wait a minute, this isn't the gospel that we know. He must be an imposter. He's not entertaining enough. <laughs> well, you know, and and Jesus teaching also in many ways is not comfortable enough. Right. Because it draws us to a higher level. That's what it's about. Worldwide salvation was and is the mission of Jesus. First, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, "Here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Again, these are really simple scriptural statements, but when you look at them, and you know we've, we've quoted several, and there are many, many more we don't have time for today. But when you look at these simple statements, you know, all die in Adam, all are made alive in Christ. We look at the the Abrahamic promise, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We look at the First Timothy scripture, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, and now this first that this John scripture, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the few. No, of the world. That's what it says. And would it have been prophesied if it was not true? What are your beliefs about salvation? What are the responsibilities of your beliefs about salvation? See, for, for us, Jonathan, one of the responsibilities that we, we determine uh, is, is we need to give people the hope of what we believe salvation really is. That's right. And that's why I believe really deeply, truly, and convicted that, that God gave us an opportunity to do what we're doing right here, right now. That's right. Because it's a way to say, hey, look, look at what the scriptures teach. There's good news here. There is great news here. If your belief system is different than that, then what are you doing about it? How are you standing up for it? How are you being vocal? How are you being an example of what your belief system is showing you? Salvation... Worldwide salvation, one last scripture before we go to a break here, came to us at a very high price. He, because justice has a price. It always has a price. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, 
so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So it talks about suffering and death. And we, of course we know the experience of the cross. We know the humiliation. We know the torment and the torture that Jesus had to go through. And we know that he had to be willing to lay everything, everything down before God. There was a great price. But that great price was required by justice to cancel the sin of Adam. Without that great price, life for life, justice could not be served and salvation could not be available. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, is what you believe that big of a deal? Coming up, what about punishment? And what's the difference between salvation for Christians and non-Christians? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is what you believe that big of a deal. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And Jonathan, we're going to try to do something in this segment which might be kind of foolish. We're going to try to cover a lot of really big, difficult things in just one little segment. I don't know. Who <laughs> designed go. this approach anyway? What's wrong with him? Hey, thanks, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get into that, though, let's, let's go back to the uh, another soundbite from The Matrix. And remember, it's about... Um, deciding do you want the truth or do you just want to go along with everybody else? And again, when you hear the talk about the matrix, think about Satan's world because it's there's a great parallel here, except that, um, you know, that's obviously a, f- a fictional movie. We're talking about reality. We're talking about real life truth versus the, the, the fictions of Satan's world. Let's listen. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the matrix is you have to see it for yourself this is your last chance after this there is no turning back you take the blue pill the story ends you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Well, that's kind of cool. And really, all, all, all we're looking at here is what we believe to be the truth of Scripture in terms of what it, how this world works and what's God's ultimate plan in relation to how this world works. Because when you look at the world right now, it does not make sense in relation to a just, loving, and mighty, and powerful, and wise God. Absolutely. So how do, you, how do we put it all together? Well, let's talk about punishment for a few minutes. What do you believe... Is you, what is your belief system regarding punishment for evildoers? And, and let me put something really practical here. You know, we just had that horrible, 
horrible shooting in Orlando. And when you look at that, you say, okay, what do I believe is, is the destiny of that man who took all of those lives for no reason? Those people were innocent. We're going to address that in, 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 in several more weeks when we talk about, you know, has God lost control of the world? That's, that's the subject coming up in a few weeks. We'll, we'll delve into that more fully. But using that individual as an example, what do you believe is Christian teaching in relation to that and Whatever it is that you believe, the question is, what are the responsibilities of your belief? Well, our belief, Jonathan, and I don't have to tell you because I'm preaching <laughs> the choir here, but because there's nobody else here to listen to me, <laughs> our belief system regarding what punishment looks like is that sin produces death. Not torment, not torture, not flames. Sin produces death. Why do we believe that? Let's go to the scriptures. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right. That's a very simple, straightforward scripture. The wages of sin is death. All right. Folks, if you have a thought, now would be the time. 866-985-4255. Toll free. 866-985-4ALL. So that was Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So the opposites spoken of in Romans 8, 6 is carnal mindedness brings death. Spiritual mindedness brings life and peace. Life and death are the opposites. Mm-hmm. Not life and life and torment, no. but life and death. So those who pursue a life without Christ will find death at the end of that road. Yes. That's, that's a simple thing. Mm-hmm. And yet we said, you know, all men will be saved. How does that work? We'll get into that in just a couple of minutes. But so far, scriptures are very specific about sin producing death. Uh, Matthew seven thirteen. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate... And broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go thereat. So, broad is the way that leads to destruction. What does that word destruction mean? Rick, it means ruin or loss, physical, spiritual, or eternal. Ruin or loss. When you, when you destroy a hard drive, you ruin it. Mm-hmm. You make it so it can't operate anymore. Right. Okay. Philippians 3.19, along those very lines of using the same word for destruction. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. So, end is destruction, ruin, or loss. The wages of sin is death. These are very, very clear-cut scriptural statements. Now look, Jonathan, we're treating this in just a matter of a few minutes. Yes. We have many programs that go into the idea of eternal torment in relation to scripture uh, in great, great detail. If you subscribe to Seeker Rewind, the full edition, uh, we will reference those programs for you, and we would absolutely encourage you to go to those programs, listen, follow Rewind, and check it out. See if the scriptural reasoning is actually sound. And if you don't think it's sound, let us know, because that's important. That's important. One other point, total destruction is the biblical end for those who are incorrigible. For those who will not respond even to resurrection and salvation, 
there is a description of what's going to happen to them. Acts 3.23. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Destroyed. The word for destroyed, what, what's the definition? To extirpate. 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 <laughs> okay. Now not that, a word I usually use. Yeah, well, that's not a word that we use a lot. The word actually means to wipe out, to destroy completely. That's what it means. It doesn't say they're going to be tormented and tortured forever so they can live on and endure the torture. It says they will be wiped out, destroyed completely. Sounds like a hijacking. And see, that's the point. The great hijacking of Christianity has taken on, from our perspective, and again, this is the Christian Questions belief system that we're sharing with you here. It has taken on the traditions of men, starting with ancient Egyptian mythology, and built upon those things to create an environment of fear, so that you either obey or burn. And that creates obedience through fear. God doesn't work that way. He, in our mind, he just, he just simply does not work that and way. And with salvation, Rick, the same concept is if you're not a Christian, you're out. Right. You have to be in. So that is another hijack against the concept of salvation that, that Jesus died for. And the other part of this is if you do believe in eternal torment as, as, and you truly believe it, what's your responsibility? If you believe that, shouldn't you be out there trying to keep everybody from that? Or do you not care enough about them to just let them burn eternally? Do you not care about them to just let them burn eternally? I mean, think about that, Jonathan, for a second, because that's important stuff. Um, so an app from, uh, a comment from an app says, Born in sin, shapen in iniquity. Quoting, quoting that scripture from, from, from Psalms. Again, saying that we're born into this mess. But God's plan is bigger than the mess. God's plan allows the mess as a learning experience. So let's move on to the next section of this. Let's move off of the, 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 the torment, torture, what we believe to be mythology, tradition, a fable, the hijacking of Christianity, the hijacking of what we believe scriptures truly teach. And now let's move on to, okay, you know, you asked an important question. Well, what's the difference between the salvation for Christians and non-Christians? I mean, there's got to be a difference. And there is. There is definitely a difference. Our belief system regarding how salvation works is that there are two basic phases to salvation. Now, there's different parts to those two phases, but there's two basic phases. First of all, God's plan has always had room for true justice and mercy to be served to every human in history. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Listen carefully to the wording here. For therefore we both labor... And suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. So you have a division spoken of in the scripture. That's right. All men and the believers. Right. And by believers, we're talking about true footstep followers of Jesus. Yes. Those called, those willing to deny themselves and do all those things we talked about in the first hour. Okay, so there is a separation saying that God's taking care of all of us, everybody, but especially in a very special and privileged way, those who are true, deep believers. First John 2, 2 has that same sense of division within the concept of salvation. 
He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I don't know how much more plain and simple you can get than those verses. No. It's really, really straightforward. The Bible does make a distinction between true followers of Christ and everybody else. While both groups are in line for salvation, their path to salvation is very different. And Jonathan, here again is where Christianity has been hijacked. Because it's either you be one of us or you're lost. That is a hijacking of the mercy of God. That is a twisting of Scripture, according, obviously according to how we, we understand Scripture. Now, again, if you disagree, great. Let us know. We'd love to, to converse with you on that. The difference here. Uh, true follow, uh, wait, wait, we didn't read that yet. Romans. Romans, right. I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of myself because we're running out of time. No. Romans 8, 18 to 22. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Again, you have the two basic classes, right? Yes. The creation, the everybody, versus those that are higher. Sons of God. Okay? And so, so the difference is, the true followers, first as sons of God, and then through them, the longing of the world is fulfilled. So the world wants an answer to the mess, of, the mess that it's in. Okay? The world wants an answer. How do they get it? It's going to come through the true sons of God. Let's finish the verses, Romans 8, verses 20 to 22. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. See, now this, this, this section of verses is important. Another comment came in from the app, and it says, look, who is really innocent? Are we not all sinners? And we did not, try, did not mean to imply that the world is innocent, but we did mean to imply that the world does not have a choice, and that, yes, we all are sinners, and we can't change that. Right. So it's not like I earned it at birth, but that was my lot in life. That was my destiny, to be born in sin. So no, we're not innocent from the standpoint that every single one of us sins, and we sin a lot. Mm. But this verse says, the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption, because there is no choice. That's right. You are death. We are slaves to corruption. It will be set free to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I mean, there is such a, a, a great and hopeful idea presented to us here, that the world groans and travails in this pain, but it's only going to be temporary because something good is going to come from it. So the world, the world's suffering is trapped in a longing for a hope that they cannot see. Those who are called to follow Christ have the privilege to be able to see it first. What do you do? What's the responsibility that you have of your belief? And Jonathan, we're just about out of time here. One last scripture. I love this one. Simple, straightforward, to the point. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Jesus was specific about his true followers going to heaven. Yes. He was specific, he was clear, and he told us. So, if his true followers go to heaven, why does he tell his true followers to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth? For everyone else. Right, because they need a place to live. And that's why God created the earth. Does what you believe 
really make a difference? Is it that big of a deal? Folks, hopefully, as we've gone through some of these very basic things and given you a very specific perspective, you see that it does make a big difference. It is a big deal because if the scriptures teach us about salvation that everyone can have an opportunity for, doesn't mean you can just go do anything in life and everything's going to be peachy later because everybody will be accountable. Don't ever forget that. The point is, God has a plan. Find the plan of God in Scripture. Latch on to it. Hold on to it. Tenaciously walk with that plan as your guide for life so that what you believe changes your life and rubs off on those around you. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We'll be back next week with another subject. But till then, what you believe, make sure you know it. Till next week, think about it.